Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Ken Baer, pastor at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue right here in Celebration, Florida. And we've been going through the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. Today, we'll be starting a new chapter, chapter 23. Now, previously, we have seen Paul speaking to a, to a mixed crowd. This is right after he was found in the temple in Jerusalem. There were people that cried out went out to the street, a riot was, uh, was growing, and then the Roman commander came and, and took Paul. Basically, all he wanted to do was to keep the peace, but in essence, he, he saved Paul's life. Paul asked to speak to the crowd, and as he starts speaking to the crowd again, uh, it was something that he said last week, we talked about the, the last straw. And remember, Paul was talking to two different groups of Jewish people that had come out of the temple after Paul was, uh, was, was basically yelled at. First of all, there were unbelieving Jews that were in the audience. Now, by an unbelieving Jew, I, I, I'm referencing those Jews that, that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were there in the temple to worship God, uh, but they were not fans of uh, the Messiah, of Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, they didn't think too much of this, this group called the, the Way. Uh, they were unbelieving Jews. Now, the other group that was in the crowd, this mixed crowd, were believing Jews. These were people that were aligned with, uh, with Paul. They, they were aligned with the apostles. They were aligned with uh, the belief that Jesus Christ had come, that he had died on the cross for their sins, that he was the, the Messiah. At the same time, they were in Jerusalem. They were still observing many of the, of the Jewish uh, laws. They were still observing many of the Jewish feasts. Um, and, and they liked what they heard. You know, they liked what they heard. Uh, the, now, the Jewish people, the Jews that were non-believers, didn't really like Paul at all, what he was saying. But the Jewish believers liked what Paul was saying until he basically said that the Lord had told him in the temple that they would not receive him in Jerusalem and that the Lord was sending him to the Gentiles. And as we said last week, this was really the last straw. This, this incited the group. Um, the groups, the, and the scripture said last week, it said, verse 22, it said, and they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow, and he is not fit to live. And we talked about it. They were tearing their clothes, and they were throwing dust into the air. Um, it was the last straw when, when the Lord had told Paul, depart, and I will send you to the, to the Gentiles. That, that really sent them off. The, the Jewish people hated the Gentiles. It was, it was the Jews and the God for the Jews and the Gentiles, not so much. And as I paraphrased last week, the, the crowd went nuts. Uh, they rushed at Paul. They wanted to kill him. And the Roman commander, again, had to step in and to take Paul. Again, he arrested Paul and he, he protected Paul from the crowds who wanted to kill him. So this is the end of chapter 2. And let me read the last, cha uh, last verse in chapter 2 as we get ready to launch into chapter 23 today. Verse 30 of chapter 22 says this. It says, The next day... 
because he, that's the Roman commander, wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before him. So, as you recall, um, the, the Roman commander was, was impressed that Paul was able to speak three languages. Not so for the commander, because Paul had been speaking to the crowd in Hebrew, and the commander heard all this commotion and didn't know what was being said or what the accusations were against Paul. Um, so instead, what he does is he decides to take Paul to the Jewish council, we know the Jewish council by the name of the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin is really a name, a Hebrew name, just for assembly or people seated together. And the concept of having a Sanhedrin goes actually way back into the Bible to the time of Moses. In, in Moses, and I believe this is in Numbers chapter 11, Moses is, is, uh, says this, he says, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people have them come with me into the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. This was the beginning of the Jewish high council, the 70 elders that Moses had commanded. So the Sanhedrin was the supreme council of the Jews. It controlled civil and religious law under the auspices of the, of the Romans. The Sanhedrin, we were told, had 71, which would be 70 of the leaders, the elders, plus the high priest. It was made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees. That will be important today as we go through the scripture. The head of the council was the high priest, who at the time of Jesus' trial, if you remember, was a man named Caiaphas. So let's get started in this new chapter, chapter 23. And the title of my sermon today is A Slap in the Face. A Slap in the Face. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Verse 2, And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law and do not command me to be struck contrary to the law. And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Okay, so obviously this is, a, this is a big change. This is something we haven't seen before. Paul was brought before this consul, and Dr. Luke uh, does something that they do in Hollywood. Dr. Luke cuts to the chase. Are you familiar with that term, cut to the chase? As I said, it's a Hollywood term, and it comes from the idea that these low-budget films that are made in Hollywood often have a lot of dialogue. And the dialogue can be boring. People want to see action. So typically what will happen is the Hollywood director will cut to the chase. When we use that term today, cut to the chase, it means get to the important part. Uh, get to the part where, where I'm going to be interested. Get to the part, part where there's some interesting things going on. And this is exactly what Dr. Luke did. Um, the, uh, um, Paul had basically started off uh, with his defense. 
And he said, men and brothers, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, this is the first verse that Dr. Luke records. And Paul is basically providing a, a, his character reference. He's likely ready to tell them how he stundered un, under Gamaliel, that he was a Pharisee, a person that revered the law of Moses, that he was a faithful Jew. Um, actually, uh, many believe that Paul may have been talking for a while, and Dr. Luke just picks it up at this point. He have, may have already mentioned, for example, his meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus. If he did, uh, Dr. Luke excluded it because it would have been the fifth time it's mentioned in the New Testament. In any case, Dr. Luke cuts to the chase. Paul just says a few words, and then he gets slapped in the face. That's my title for today. Verse 2 says, And the high priest Ananias, Ananias uh, commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Now this is of course a very interesting way for the high priest to exercise his authority or to express his, his displeasure. He obviously didn't think too much of Paul saying that Paul had fulfilled his duties before God. Whatever the reason, the high priest is incensed and orders those standing nearby to slap him in the mouth. Now, the Greek word um, slap there is used four times. The Greek word is used four times in the New Testament, two times in this passage. The other two times, it's translated as to beat or strike with a fist. The high priest, in this case, is Ananias, and he is the one that told the others to strike Paul. Now, Ananias, historians tell us, was, a, was an evil man. Herod, King Herod had appointed him to be the high priest of the Jews in AD 47. And Ananias held his office of high priest for about 12 years. According to scholars, he was known for his greed. The historian Josephus accused him of embezzling the tithes of the ordinary priest for his, for his own use and handing out bribes. This is, the, is this the kind of high priest that somebody like Herod the, the, um, a Roman uh, in, in charge of the province of Judea would have wanted. This Ananias was hated by many of the Jews. The historians are not kind at all to his legacy. Note Paul's response to being slapped in the face. And we know now that being slapped actually was a, a pretty significant blow. Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law and do command me to be struck contrary to the law. Paul is basically saying, you're sitting there as a judge of the law and you're doing something that is contrary to the law. Now, Paul receives a, a lot of criticism for this comment by many scholars. And we see in the next verse, when he's told that he's speaking to the high priest, then Paul apologizes for his comment. However, uh, what this high priest did was contrary to the Jewish law. The law of Moses said only a man found guilty, found guilty of something, could be beaten, and Paul had not been found guilty of anything. Paul calls this high priest a, a whitewashed wall, that's verse 3, and said that God would strike him. Now, it's interesting that Paul was not necessarily speaking prophetically, but just prior to the Jewish-Roman War that started in 66 AD, the Jewish nationalists at the time burned down the house of Ananias, and then they hunted him down and killed both he and his brother. Now, Paul had said, God will strike you. 
Now, Paul's angry response after getting smacked was similar to what Jesus had said earlier in his ministry, in his earthly ministry. In Matthew 23, Jesus says something uh, very familiar, very similar. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the laws, and to teach of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This high priest, Ananias, was certainly a, a hypocrite, if the historians are anywhere near accurate uh, towards his character. Jesus had called it earlier, and Paul was echoing many of the same charges against this, this high priest. Now, religious hypocrisy in particular is insidious. It destroys the testimony of a religion. It creates a facade, a veneer, when actually otherwise there would be substance, there would be bedrock. Paul's sharp-witted and quick reply is uncharacteristic of Paul. And some scholars are critical of it. They believe that it contradicts the spirit of Jesus, who said to turn the other cheek. And that's likely accurate. However, remember that Paul is a, a preacher. A and he, like the rest of us, is, is only human. In no way was Paul sinless, but he can, and we can still have an appreciation for his defense and his willingness as well to quickly apologize when he finds out that the man that did this was actually the high priest. Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. And we can take Paul for what he says, to be truthful. Uh, Paul had been away from Jerusalem for years, and it's likely that the council, because it's not called the Sanhedrin here, uh, was likely an informal meeting of some of the members. Uh, likely this gathering of both the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the high priest, nobody's wearing any official garb. So let's continue, verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. Now, Paul's defense, remember, was interrupted um, rudely by this slap in the face. And Paul knows at this time that, uh, that his speech, anything that he says, is just going to be cut short by the high priest. Paul must have realized that he was not going to prevail in his normal defense against this demigod Ananias. So Paul changes his tactic, and he decides to divide his accusers. Knowing that the council was represented by both Sadducees and Pharisees, and the two groups were always at odds, Paul points to himself. He says, hey, I'm a Pharisee, and that he was on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now realize what Paul said was factually true. Paul preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He preached it from morning until night. That was his main emphasis in preaching the Messiah. He hung all of the gospel on the truth of the resurrection. Now the difference in beliefs between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was well known. We actually have an alliteration to help us remember the differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Maybe you remember it. It goes like this. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. That is why the Sadducees were sad, you see. 
Sadducee. So, however, this, this difference in the belief of the resurrection was just one of the differences. There was actually a huge divide between the two groups. The Sadducees tended to be wealthy. Uh, they were powerful. They held on to powerful positions. They were more elitist. They were more likely to be arist um, aristocrat than the Pharisees. The chief priests and the high priests were always of the Sadducees. They held the majority of the seats as well, the majority of the 70. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were more representative of the common people. Anyone could actually aspire to become a Pharisee as long as you studied long enough. To be a Sadducee, however, required the right pedigree. You had to be born into the right family. The Sadducees also controlled the temple. They were in line, in league with the Romans who had the real power. The Pharisees, however, controlled the synagogues. They were teachers. It was brilliant for Paul to claim he was being persecuted because he was a Pharisee. And it worked. Let's move on to verse 9. And so there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him, that's Paul, into the barracks. You notice again how Paul is saved by the Roman commander. The Roman commander intervenes. The Pharisees are now on Paul's side, uh, but the dispute is now, and the dispute is now between the Pharisees and the Sadducees rather than the council against Paul. And really, they're going to come to blows if something doesn't happen. So the commander takes the fuel off the fire. The fuel is Paul. So he removes Paul, he arrests him basically again, and brings him into the barracks. In essence, Paul is brought back in shackles into what's, what in essence is, is a jail. Again, remember that the Roman commander is not taking sides. He's just trying to keep the peace. So let's finish up with our last verse for today, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. So, let's take a breath to remember the situation that Paul is in. No doubt Paul was troubled, as this is the third attempt on his life in as little as two days. However, the Lord himself, not an angel, not a messenger, but the Lord himself stands by Paul and encourages him. Um, the Lord tells him, Paul, take courage. Just imagine how those two words have, would have lifted Paul's spirit. Take courage. And this is what the Lord tells Paul afterwards. He, and the, the Lord tells Paul something that's really going to give Paul confidence and give him the ability to really overcome the remaining obstacles in his life. He will ultimately overcome every obstacle. He will end up in Rome. He will travel to Rome, something he has always wanted to do, but has not yet found the time or the opportunity. Paul had a desire to travel to Rome, and now Paul could be certain. The Lord said that he would go to Rome and testify, so it will be done. It was settled. Paul may have to go through some difficult times, but knowing that he would eventually get to Rome would give him great confidence. Jesus came personally to Paul and told him, take courage. But here's the thing. Jesus, do you know, actually tells us exactly the same thing. He calls us to be overcomers and that we will overcome. 
we are to be of good cheer. We should also have the same kind of hope. And why? Why is that? Well, just as with Paul, everything's not great, not because Paul nor we will not go through some difficult times, but because God is still on the throne. You know, there's a verse that I use very sparingly, but from time to time I use it because the verse is true. Romans 8.28 says that all things, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. The Lord says, Paul, as you've testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. You know, in the, in the book of Revelation, Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches. And these seven churches, in many respects, represents every church uh, throughout history as well as that are operating today. In these letters, Jesus writes to those who overcome. And Jesus stands near us and personally tells us to take courage. And Jesus is what Jesus says. In the, in the letter to, the, to, uh, to one of the churches in Revelation, he said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And that second passage is from Revelations chapter 3, verse 5. Paul was an overcomer. Paul took courage from the encouragement of the Lord. We also are to be overcomers, and we have also the promises of Jesus. Take courage. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this lesson today. Thank you, You've Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.